There are those hypnobirthing tools that people might consider to be sort of hippy-dippy. There's, you know, the relaxations that are about like calming, being able to calm your mind and learn how to do that during pregnancy so that you've got a fighting chance of doing that in the birth room. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hi, Maria. Hi, Shelly. We are at episode 61. What? Get out of yeah. town. And this one's all about hypnobirthing. Did you use hypnobirthing? I no. did not use it. I didn't use any fancy birthing techniques. My, you just went in. Like, I just, yeah, of like, <laughs> mad lib style. And uh, it, it all did not go at all the way I wanted it to. As many of us experience when we go to the hospital. I never actually took a hypnobirthing class, but I did get my hands on a copy of the book. Mm. And kind of read it. So get a general idea of what it was about. And it was basically using meditation and visualization to have an easy birth or a pain-free birth. I didn't have any issues managing my contractions until they started using Pitocin on me. Oh, well, yeah. Pitocin contractions. Oh, my God. It was like being stabbed repeatedly. It was awful. Mm-hmm. They're intense. They are really intense. I think let's I managed my pain. What did you say? But let's talk about something more cheerful. Okay. Do you like my chicken mug? Oh, so cute. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So I saw this uh, recent research come out and it said more than one in 10 women, 12%, who did not have high blood pressure before or during pregnancy developed that condition postpartum. And nearly fourth of the cases examined hypertension developed six weeks or more after childbirth, and 17% of the women had what was considered a severe case. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, it's kind of it's kind of weird because if you're in like any of the IBCLC groups, you see that a lot where people will talk about how they went to do a consult and notice that, you know, the mom's legs were super swollen and mom was complaining of a headache. And they were actually developing postpartum eclampsia and no one had caught it. It's interesting that it's happening that late postpartum. Yeah, I wonder why. I wonder, did they include racial demographics? I don't know. I just read the summary. But that would make sense. Yeah. The actual... And that's something usually a question that I ask anyway when I'm working with families is, you know, how, how's your swelling? I noticed you're swollen. Is that better? Is it worse? Have you had any headaches recently? All those questions, especially if they're struggling with low milk supply. Right. Yeah. Or it's like borderline. I always find it's like borderline low milk supply. Like it's, it's not quite great, but it's, it could be worse. Just keeping up. Kind of yeah. supplies, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was low key, just sort of observe their body. Like I'll mm-hmm. look at their ankles, I'll look at their feet. What kind of shoes did they wear coming into the office? So many moms who are still super swollen postpartum are wearing slippers into the office mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that feels comfortable on their feet. And or then Crocs. I'll- I see a lot of Crocs. Yeah, Crocs, Cracks forever, Crocs life, man. <laughs> And that, and that always leads me to, to talk to them about their swelling and ask them if it's improving or getting worse and mm-hmm. what they to try to resolve it. Yeah. And I usually, I usually try to recommend some diuretic foods. There's some good diuretic foods out there that can help reduce fluids in the body. Yeah, definitely. And that would help prevent severe engorgement. Yeah. Too, when the milk starts to come in. Yeah. Diuretic foods are great. Usually they're good snack foods. Like. Cucumbers are good mm. diet food. You can like snack on cucumbers. Watermelon is too, isn't it? Yep, watermelon. Yeah. Uh, pineapple too, I believe. Yeah. Um, there's lots of good like snacky fruits and vegetables that can help you. Diaries. Mm-hmm. And if you are severely engorged, then anti-inflammatory foods work well too. Turmeric. Do you say turmeric or turmeric? I guess I say turmeric. 
but I don't really say it very often. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I see turmeric, but I, sometimes I hear people say turmeric and I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those words that I grew up reading and never saying out loud. So then when I finally had to say it out loud, I was like, I don't really know how to say this word. Well, but funny because I don't think it's something that I ever read. Like I can't, I can't visualize in my head. I can't decide which way it's spelled. I have to look at the word. We are way off topic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go on to a, our question of the week. This week's question is, can you mix formula and breast milk together in a state, the same bottle? What was my answer? Can you? Yes. Should you? No. <laughs> Generally a poor idea to combine your breast milk with your formula. Why? Well, the number one reason is if there's any left over, you're going to be wasting breast milk. And that's mm-hmm. just a tragedy. Mm-hmm. It also, if, actually, did I, am I making this up? I feel like I read somewhere where formula can affect the probiotic value of breast milk. So what I know is that, I don't know exactly the answer to that question, but maybe this is what you heard. But the the iron in breast milk has antibacterial and other immune properties and the iron in the formula doesn't and the body can only take in so many so much iron at a time like they we only have so many iron receptors right so you want the breast milk to be fed first so that the iron in the breast milk goes to all the receptor and the baby's body absorbs that because that's the iron that has the antibacterial um, immune properties and then follow up with the formula which like science, cool. It's it's cool that we know that. <laughs> and yeah, in an ideal world, we would be able to to make everything separate. But also, you know, if you if you're a mom of twins or triplets and you don't have time for that, and so yeah. you decide that you're gonna keep mixing them together. That whatever works for your family. Yeah. 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 It's not gonna not gonna be the end of the world. But again, if you don't finish that bottle, that's breast milk. Yeah, toss it. Yeah, say toodaloo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next is our guests, Alex and Jade from Birth Uprising, and they are going to talk to us all about hypnobirthing. This week, we are speaking with Alex and Jade from Birth Uprising. The Birth Uprising is no bull, no fluff, no nonsense hypnobirthing education run by Jade and Alex with a friendship that goes back over 17 years and six kids between them. They are self-confessed birth geeks and are on a mission to cut through all the birthing bull and make hypnobirthing accessible to everyone. They are passionate about empowering expectant parents with the tools and knowledge they need to have their baby their way. Over the past five years, they have trained over 150 hypnobirthing instructors across the UK and educated thousands of expectant parents through their in-person courses and online digital hypnobirthing pack. The digital pack is currently available in the UK and the US. Thank you so much, Jade and Alex, for joining us today. Even though we're all kind of feeling a little under the weather, uh, myself as well. Um, And can you guys tell us a little bit more about yourselves? Certainly can. I'll um, take it being as Alex has currently got a screaming child. (laughs) (laughs) always the way um so we are the birth uprising we founded the birth uprising about five years ago now when our second children were born and alex and i have known each other for many 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 years and we used to go out drinking and having like fun times together and then we lost touch and then got back in touch when we accidentally met up with each other at a swimming class with our um two eldest children and we were both pregnant at the time and we both had pretty rubbish first births. Like they weren't great. They were kind of, you know, meh is how I'd describe it. I had one that was quite painful. Alex was induced. Um, and we started talking during our second births, during our second pregnancy, sorry. And what we had both found is hypnobirthing second time round. And we were talking about how different we felt. And it kind of brought up this spark, like it just this passion for hypnobirthing. Because first time round, neither of us did hypnobirthing somebody had mentioned it to both of us and both of our reactions were 
no, thank you. Don't do that. That sounds utterly rubbish. Like it sounds crap and we are not interested in that whatsoever. Like as far mm-hmm. as I was concerned, hypnobirthing was woo-woo. It was breathing. I thought somebody was going to tell me that my vagina would open like a rose and my baby would float <laughs> out. And Because I'd heard that from people. Like that is totally what hypnobirthing kind of it's definitely shown like that through the media sometimes. And so neither of us were interested. Whereas second time around, both of us, we had instead looked into it rather than just go, now you're all right. We looked into it. We found out a little bit more about it. And actually what we found was it was amazing and that it was just full of science and there was so much more to it than what we realized. And we both went on to have amazing second births we both had home births we both had births that lasted not a lot of time we didn't think we were in labor for the most of it and we both came out of it like oh my gosh I just gave birth and genuinely enjoyed it like I loved giving birth to my second Mm. daughter to my second child I'd do that again and again and again that would not be an issue for me um it was just the best experience and it really made me think why didn't I do this first time around what was it that stopped me from listening about hypnobirthing what was it that stopped me just altogether even paying any attention to it and it was because of the way it was kind of portrayed the way that it was that kind of you know very hippie woo woo everybody's going to take their shoes off when you go into a class and we're going to sit and we're going to hum and not that there's anything wrong with that if that's your vibe but like for Alex and I we are modern women um and you know it's just not what we're into and so we started the conversations of what, how how can we bring this to more people? How can we make this more mainstream? How can we make it so that people understand the science behind hypnobirthing and just how amazing it really, truly is? And that's where the birth uprising was born on walks around parks with babies in slings and toddlers kind of running off um, towards each other and trying to get into roads and stuff like that with Alex and I chasing children around and kind of dreaming up the birth uprising. And that has slowly and then very quickly spiralled into us teaching thousands of people for an online course that we've got. We also teach other people how to be hypnobirthing instructors. And it's become this beautiful monster where we are getting that information out there so people can actually understand it and they want it. And that has been amazing. And we, I think what we set out to do, we've achieved and more, do you reckon, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely wanted to focus on more of the science sort of thing, because that's what really hooked us. Like Jade said, we're not really, you know, as much as I think I would really benefit from like mindfulness and things like that. I just don't have that sort of brain that will set aside that time. I get lost in science and information. And that was kind of how I discovered hypnobirthing off the back of having my first child where I think like most people do we go into it thinking about the things that we've seen in movies on the television kind of thinking that it's going to be a certain way and that's the only option and it's just what you do you know you you just have to get through it and so I kind of had that sort of attitude towards it and then afterwards when I actually faced some breastfeeding troubles I started to get quite nerdy about breastfeeding and things like that. And then that kind of went into like infant sleep and that continued on weaning. And then suddenly I'm pregnant second time around and hypnobirthing was just another thing to be nerdy about. And we just couldn't believe how sciencey it was. And so for us, the birth uprising is about understanding the science of how things work, why they work and how we can help our bodies to birth in a positive way as well as potentially not focusing on just a kind of straightforward vaginal birth because, I mean, I'm sure it's very much the same in the US, but um, in the UK, it's very much a medicalized system. People are more and more being offered induction, things like that. And it's important that people understand the ins and outs of these things so that they can weigh up the pros and cons and decide what they want to do. And if that is opting to go along with an induction or having a planned cesarean, we want people to understand their choices in both of those and go into that feeling positive. And we have heard from people that have learned from our instructors, people that have done the digital pack, that they're so grateful for us covering 
that side of things. Um, we happen to have had pretty straightforward vaginal births for all three of our births, but we just, there's really no point in putting all the focus on that being someone's birth experience and then sending them off into a system that is going to make that very, very difficult for them, even if that's what they want. Um, so that's kind of where we come at it from is that sort of, we're open to how someone wants to birth their baby, however that is, as long as they've got the information to make it positive and to feel confident that they've made decisions that are right for them. That's kind of our whole ethos, really. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that drew me to to you guys, I found you on Instagram. And I love your <laughs> account because, and I'm a childbirth educator myself. I don't teach hypnobirthing. I just teach regular childbirth education. But, and I don't know if this is the same where you guys are, but in the U.S., there's definitely this image of a childbirth educator, but also specifically a hypnobirthing educator where they are hippy-dippy, as you said, mm-hmm. and often like barefoot and saying, you know, just meditate your baby out and it will be fine. And that doesn't, that's not relatable for me. I'm more of a snarky, sarcastic person. And that's what hey. caught my eye. Yes. <laughs> when I was still, I found your account and I was like, Oh my God, this is perfect. Like this is, you know, you guys are my people basically. (laughs) Because if you don't, in my opinion, if you approach birth as you can make it like pain-free if you just do these exercises, you're just setting a mom or these like breathing exercises or meditations. You're just setting a family up for discipline. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it seems like that you you guys are, as a team are a lot more down to earth and realistic about the process than some of the other instructors out there. Yeah, we don't shy away from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people tend to do is like, don't talk about pain. But birth can be painful. Just because something's painful doesn't mean that it's not positive. Like mm-hmm. we liken it to running marathons. So when you run a marathon, you're going to get to a point where your body's exhausted and therefore it's going to start to hurt. Well, birth is very similar. It doesn't hurt to begin with necessarily, but your body's doing something really incredible and you're going to get to the point where it's going to start to get tired. So for us, hypnobirthing is about knowing that and knowing when you hit that wall, when you get to that point, what can you do for yourself? Are there anything you can do, like you know, any techniques you can bring? And also to know that at that point, you can ask for pain relief. And that doesn't mean you've failed. That means that you have made this really amazing informed decision that I have reached my limit. And actually right now, what I'd like is some gas and air or I'd like an epidural. And if that is what someone comes to, then good for them. Like that is a positive birth choice for them. And I hate kind of that, you know, hierarchy of birth. And I do find you see that sometimes, you know, the hierarchy is vaginal birth at home. And if you've not done that, then you failed. And I hate that more than anything because everybody's lives are so individual that what's right for me isn't necessarily going to be right for someone else and that's totally where we come at things from because everybody's different Mm -hmm. and seeing that and knowing that as birth educators for us when we train people to teach hypnobirthing it's one of our like pillars of what we teach because it's so important that people aren't thrusting their like ideas on somebody else Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, I totally agree about their own sorry It's about their own individual stories. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all very well, you know, I know birth, I trust birth. And for me, home is a safe, positive place to birth a baby. Someone who has perhaps had life experience of birth going a different way, or they've been surrounded by stories where birth kind of took a different path and they've perceived that a birth at home would be a dangerous thing. That person, for them to birth at home would... They'd be full of adrenaline, they'd be full of fear, and their body is not going to birth optimally. Whereas when they've got this trust of their care team and the space that they're birthing in, they're more likely to be able to relax and let their body do its thing. And that's what we're all about is optimizing birth. And I think people have a sort of idea of what hypnobirthing is. And it is often peddled by a lot of instructors that are perhaps not as cool and edgy as us, but The fact is that hypnobirthing is just about optimizing any type of birth to feel positive. It's about going into appointments, feeling confident that actually they can be a part of the decision-making process. It's about going into their birth space, feeling like they're a good team with their birth partner. And it's not something that they've got to sit and do alone whilst their birth partner is just 
simply waiting in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're about, building that trust in people's bodies, that trust in their kind of birth team so that they can start off parenthood feeling positive, which is then going to set them up for feeling more like they can trust their instincts with parenting, you know, being able to potentially breastfeed in a more like positive relationship with their baby if that's what they want to do because they haven't started off their parenting journey feeling like they were confused they were scared they are they don't trust their body it doesn't do what they wanted it to and it just starts that big spiral doesn't it so we want Mm -hmm. people to come into it feeling good and keep that going throughout the postpartum period Mm -hmm. 100% and I agree about the the hierarchy (laughs) that you mentioned. I had two home births. I had a hospital birth and two home births. And so for a while, I was very much entrenched in the home birth community. And and it's true. There was definitely a lot of families who had home births who had a sense of superiority about them because they did it at home with no pain meds and everyone should be able to do that. And if you don't, then that means you're, you know, you're less of a pregnant person or a birther Mm -hmm. in some way. And there was always a joke about like, I know this was way back in the day of AOL messaging boards. Like that's how far <laughs> this was. And then, you know, everybody would put a signature in their post. And a lot of them would put like gold stars because they had a, a home birth. So they put a, a gold star for every home birth that they had because they thought, you know, I deserve a gold star. Um, and as a doula, it wasn't until I became a doula that I was like, you know, sometimes I would literally be begging for some families to get an epidural it would be like, I really think that this would help you. You're really struggling with this. Things are not going according to how you wanted them. But maybe if you got an epidural and got some rest, got some more energy, we could, you know, push through the final stage, things like that. So what if we um, took a step back for a second and just, if you could explain what hypnobirthing is and how it differs from other childbirth education programs, just in case any of our listeners out there don't know. Are you going to take this, Alex, or should I? <laughs> I'll start. Okay. So, first of all, there are those hypnobirthing tools that people might consider to be sort of hippy dippy. There's, you know, the relaxations that are about like calming, being able to calm your mind and learn how to do that during pregnancy so that you've got a fighting chance of doing that in the birth room. There are affirmations to help you to start feeling positive about the prospect of what your body's about to do. Um, what else is there? There are visualizations which with the hypnobirthing tools we are very much take it or leave it like for me second time round and to be honest third time round as well visualization just wasn't something that I kind of included in my birth prep um although we've had so many clients that have found it super super useful some people love to visualize that positive outcome um visualize birthing their baby in a certain way and we know that many successful people many famous people sports people things like that find visualizations to be very positive very successful but that's one of hypnobirthing tools that you can take or you can leave and that's the important thing we think about if people do find aspects of hypnobirthing to be a bit hippy dippy it's not like a you must use every single thing from this toolkit the hypnobirthing tools are like just a layer of hypnobirthing and actually what's so much more important is building a positive mindset around birth, starting to believe that birth can be something that you can enjoy, that you might get everything that you want when it comes to your birth. You might not, and you do want to find out about the options and things that are available to you so that you know that if anything changes throughout that experience, that you have an idea of what you'll choose in that circumstance. But there's really no point in heading towards your birth feeling like you're not going to get what you want. You know, I want to have a home birth, but I'm hoping to have a water birth, but if I can't, all of that kind of negative thinking is not all that helpful in getting that outcome. So we like to try and get people to spend as much time as possible, perhaps reading birth stories, watching more positive input regarding birth, nice birth videos where people appear happy when they've birthed their baby, Uh, reading stories where certain things occurred it might be that someone's opting for a home birth and they read lots of home birth stories it might be someone else is opting for an induction and they read lots of induction stories where someone felt really powerful and they felt knowledgeable and they 
agreed with every aspect of their care and they were happy with the outcome. Whether or not that outcome was a vaginal birth at the end of it, that sort of putting in more positive input is a really important part of hypnobirthing. And that's got to be done as early as possible, we would say. People often say, you know, what's the best time to start hypnobirthing? And we always say, now, if you know that you want to do it, get started because there is a lifetime of TV, movies, stories from people where you have been led to believe that birth is a horrible thing for most of us. Whereas actually some people might come from families or friendship groups where that's not the way birth is spoken about and that's brilliant, but there's always work to do. Mm -hmm. Alongside that sort of positive mindset, there's all the birthright side of things, there's decision-making, there's learning about how your body works so that you can help to optimize it. And I feel like Jade should talk now. (laughs) 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 I need to go. That can be it. Yeah, Yeah, so... I mean, the positive mindset stuff, this is really, really important in hypnobirthing because the science side of hypnobirthing, that is just, you know, it's mind blowing when you look at that, how you feel and what the negative effects it has on your body. Um, We teach a lot about fight or flight. We teach a lot about the autonomic nervous system and how actually when you fear birth, your body enters this state of fight or flight in the same sort of way as it would if you were a, I don't know, a deer and there was a lion nearby. Like your body does the same thing because it will perceive the threat of birth as, you know, this terrifying life or death situation. Therefore, it sets off all of these systems within our body that do all these amazing things to save us if we're in a life or death situation. However, when it comes to birth, what it does instead is it will make your contractions harder to, um, they won't work as well because you've got adrenaline release through your body. Adrenaline will automatically block oxytocin, which is our love hormone. And when, and when that happens, everything it just gets harder our muscles tire more quickly we're not taking in as much oxygen as we should which is something that through hypnobirth and the breathing techniques we learn to do um and our breathing is like a bit of a seesaw as well so we can actually change the chemistry of our body by breathing better and this is all the stuff that hypnobirthing teaches it teaches all of the science behind it because i think when you understand the science that means that you can get it a bit more like you can tell me something and i'll be like nah and then tell me the science i'm like get it there i'm there i understand what you mean i'm on board with it and we find that a lot with people that once they understand why you're asking them to do something actually they really do get it and they can then get on board with it and then they do amazingly at it so hypnobirthing for us it is about those tools but it is also about the knowledge and the power that comes with just understanding how amazing the human body is like our bodies create babies and then they know how to birth them and when you learn that and then you start to trust that it can give you such a powerful tool, even if you don't end up with a vaginal birth, knowing how your body works and knowing kind of your rights behind what your body can do. It, you can't put a price on how valuable that truly is. And for us, that is hypnobirthing to its core. It is knowledge, it is power, and it is just coming out of your birth no matter how it went going. I smashed that and I'm an absolute badass. And if we could get everybody feeling like that, that would be that's like that's what we want that is how we want birth to be and you know it might be a bit of a selfish thing because we've both got daughters and I want by the time that my daughter decides to if she does have uh, children she will be birthing in a very different system to what we birth in and that is kind of our long-term goal is to try and get more people feeling like that so that the system especially in the UK obviously we've got the NHS here which we are very lucky to have but which is being chronically underfunded and it is going the same way towards like private care here because of the Tories we won't get too political and we'll be here for ages and I'll get very angry um but we go in that way and for us we want our children to be birthing into systems that are a lot more kind and the only way to do that is by getting people to know their rights and their powers and for us that is something that hypnobirthing can will and is doing mm-hmm. yeah I 100% agree and that's something that I always teach too when I'm working with prenatal clients you know you need to feel safe you need to feel safe when you're in labor and that means you need to give birth in a place that you feel safe in so if you don't feel safe giving birth at home do not give birth at home if you feel safe in the hospital give birth in the hospital but even when you're in the hospital, you know, things might come up that confuse you and make you feel unsafe. Like a lot of, you know, the, the doctor comes in and, and throws a lot of medical babble at you that you have no clue what 
the doctor said or what it means, but you're feeling like he's telling you something's going wrong and you're feeling like you're pressured to take steps for interventions for that. And as you said, that can mess with your hormones and the oxytocin is huge. Actually got oxytocin tattooed on nice. <laughs> to remind me of that. Like you need to feel safe. And whether that is hiring a doula to, to help protect your space and, and help translate the medical babble that's being thrown at you and explain exactly what the doctor's saying and what your options are, or whether that's doing the hypnobirthing and, or maybe even both. Yeah, for sure. What I often think is when we have that information, you know, they say knowledge is power, but we have information about what's going to happen. That takes away some of that mystery and that mystery can feel really scary. You know, the language that's used, it might be um, that you weren't really aware of the fact that you've got to birth the placenta. You don't really know your options in terms of birthing your placenta. So when a healthcare provider comes into your birth space or they're in your space after you've had your baby and they say, we need to give you an injection to get your placenta out. Now, that's a very routine thing. Now, someone might not know that they've got an option to say, actually, no, I'd rather you didn't give me that injection. But it might give someone who doesn't know any better the idea that something was wrong and that injection was necessary in order to do something that their body was unable to do on their own. And without that information about what's going to be offered to them and what the general process is in the place that they're going to be birthing in, then that can leave them going on and sort of almost peddling misinformation where they're then with other pregnant people saying, oh, I had to have an injection to get my placenta out because it wasn't coming on its own, when actually perhaps that wasn't the case at all. But when you don't know any better, you can often be sort of railroaded into doing things or ending up sort of accidentally having that mistrust of your body just because something wasn't explained. It's very different if someone had the time to come in and say, this is how we would expect your placenta to come out. Are you happy to wait? Your other option is this injection. But when we're not given those options and we've not done the prep and the learning, that means that we're going into that space thinking, okay, they might offer me an injection. I've got the option to wait. Then people are just sort of taking it as if that's fact. I need to have an injection. That's what the person said. And so there must be some actual need for this. And language is another massive thing with hypnobirthing, isn't it? Is just kind of learning about the fact that you can say no to things that things often aren't a need. You know, even just that term emergency cesarean, where actually for the most part they're unplanned cesareans rather than an actual emergent situation that has to happen immediately. And again, you get told you need an emergency cesarean. That conjures up all sorts of fear. It makes you feel like you and your baby are in danger when actually a lot of the time it's not an emergency at all. It's just, you know, this is what we've not decided because obviously the birther should be making the decision, but this is what we recommend and the birther is going along with it. And you get told you need an emergency cesarean and you get left for two hours before that cesarean happens. That can be two hours where you are sitting there thinking, anything terrible could happen to you and your baby. And that's not how we want people to feel. We want people to know that that's a possibility before they're going in. So that if that's the circumstance, they can think, okay, cool. They obviously are not too worried about my baby because they're leaving it for a while. So everything's good. I, can, I know I can ask questions. So I can ask what's going on with my baby at this time. If they've got any real concerns for me. Um, and just, yeah, knowledge is power. It yeah. really and helps you to feel whatever experience and feel a lot more positive about it. And I completely agree. I see that a lot in my community too, where, you know, I take a birth history whenever I work with a lactation client and, you know, I have options listed and it's, it astounds me how many people will check off that they had an emergency C-section. And then when I talk to them, it's like, well, yeah, they said that her heart rate was dropping and then it took anesthesia, like, you know, like you said, two hours to get up there and give me my spinal and and it's like a true emergency C-section is they're rolling you down the hallway to the OR and putting you under general as they're doing so. Like that's a true emergency. But because of the fear mongering that can happen, whether it's an intentional fear mongering or not, you know, you think, like you said, oh, your baby's in danger. And that goes with other interventions too. I hear so many times where 
And it and it's true culturally, like as soon as you announce that you're pregnant, all the horrible birth stories do come out, right? Everybody wants to trauma dump their birth stories onto the onto the nearest um, poor pregnant person. Don't listen to the negative birth stories. Only focus on the positive. But also when you when people are telling you, they're like, well, you know, my baby almost died because they have the cord wrapped around the neck. And, and, and it's not that I don't believe the parent and their experience is valid, but cords around the necks aren't that big of a deal. In most cases, you just unwrap the cord. And was it really a life-threatening event or did it just feel that way to you because of the language that was being used or the reaction of the providers in the, in the room? Yeah, we just almost, we have any positive decisions that we're making sometimes like fear-mongered out of us. So perhaps you go into pregnancy thinking, you know, I'd love to have a home birth. That seems really nice. Seems like a really nice, calm thing to do. And you tell your best friend and they go, oh, well, if I'd had the home birth, then me and my baby would have died. And you think, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. But also there are so many things that can make interventions happen those interventions can cause dangers things like that and what we end up with is someone feeling like it was a problem with their body a problem with their birth process when actually it could have been harm that was caused by interventions or being in a place that didn't make them feel safe being surrounded by care providers that weren't respecting them not having someone to hold that space for them in the birth room and then that person thinks oh gosh well my friend said that maybe I shouldn't have a home birth then. And these things are so, so common. Like mm. it, it happens with breastfeeding as well, as I'm sure you mm. know. Um, I know that I think that there's a much higher rate of breastfeeding in the US, but in the UK, so often people are taking bottles of formula with them to the hospital, even though they very much want to breastfeed because they just have this idea that breastfeeding it's really unlikely to work. And so I'm just going to have this backup plan. And people have that so often with birth. I want to have a home birth, but, you know, I'm just going to kind of plan to be in the hospital anyway, just because I'm not sure if I'd be able to do it. And we just have this kind of chronic mistrusting of our bodies sort of across the West. Say. We yeah, we do. do it. And I think the reason we all mistrust our bodies so much, and it's from day-to-day stuff, isn't it? Like, especially like, you know, women, we are marketed stuff all the time to fix us, you know, from small stuff to like, you know, cellulite, get rid of your cellulite this way, get rid of your stretch marks this way. And that stuff does trickle down to the point where we just don't trust our bodies. Like, we don't trust our instinct. We are taught, like, you know, the patriarchy has taught us to don't trust ourselves because if we don't trust ourselves, then we we aren't going to be that fighting and involved and we're not going to be able to, you know, do what we need to do to birth our babies. And that is better for the system if we are not there standing up for ourselves because it makes the system work easier for the system. It's not better for those of us that are birthing in it, but it's certainly better for those that are in charge of it because, you know, heaven forbid that there's people knowing their rights and saying what it is they want. During COVID, when we were here, we um, had birth partners weren't allowed into the units and there was some midwives saying how it was so much easier because the um, people birthing were more compliant oh no yeah and this is what they want this is what is wanted by some not all we have some amazing midwives like they are some of the most incredible people but there are definitely people within the system where it is easier if we don't know our rights and we do mistrust our bodies because they're the experts and therefore they must know exactly what's going on Um, and it is a sad state of affairs like we have got a massive maternity um, crisis in the UK at the moment we are barely got enough midwives to go around um, you'd think that because of that, that people seeking out this information and coming in knowledgeable and understanding and kind of, you know, appreciating what their body could do would be a better thing because birth would be more straightforward. But it's not happening like that, unfortunately. It seems to be that actually, you know, when we trust ourselves, that doesn't work for the people in charge. So the less trust, the better for them. Whereas actually we are throwing spanners in the works Alex and I because (laughs) we have got people going in and questioning everything and like you know sticking up for themselves and what they want and our uh, clients are coming out a lot happier because of that Mm -hmm. yeah and like you said earlier knowledge is power and that 
That's a thing in the U.S. too. Like informed consent doesn't really exist in the maternity system in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like it's so dismissive. It's just like, okay, you need you need a C-section or you need an uh, internal monitor on your baby. And and parents like, well, what are the risks? Oh, there really aren't any. Just sign the paper. Yeah. And if you don't know, then you're consent. just gonna. Say, yeah, it's like, what else are you gonna do? You're gonna because you. I think there's always a fear too that you're gonna be seen as a bad mom, yeah. right? If you if you decline an intervention, that you might be seen as someone who doesn't want to do everything that they need to do in order to make sure that their baby stays safe. So there's that pressure too. Mm-hmm. But you're afraid of what you don't know. So. And and if you don't know what's going on, you can't make educated choices. So the knowledge is like, knowledge is power, knowledge is power. And I am the type of person that if I have a problem, I'm going to throw books at it until it goes away, yeah. right? I'm going to read every book on the subject. I'm going to try to do my research and figure it out. So I'm kind of like you guys in that way where, you know, research, know my options. If I go to the acupuncturist, you know, and she she's like, well, you know, you're having this issue because your liver is warm. And it's like, yeah, well, it's inside my body. I really hope it's warm. Like, don't talk to me about like yang and yang. The science shows that it works. Stick the needles in. I don't need to hear about like the hippy dippy part of it, but I know that it works. So just yeah. I'm here and I want to do this. And it sounds like that's kind of like the the approach you take to hypnobirthing. Like this is the, you present your, your, clients with this is the science behind it and it's not just like oh if you just do these breathing and visualization you're just going to feel good it's like no this is how it works and that's the kind of brain that I need I need to know the science behind it yeah and if there's no science backing it up unless it's like super fun for me I'm I'm not going to do it (laughs) yeah yeah I get I totally we are both the exact same like you can show something to me be like it works I could do it and it'd work and I'd be like yeah but why still I know it's working but I'd really like to know the whys of it Um, and maybe that's just because I'm a nosy person and I do just Mm -hmm. like to soak up information but everything and I think hypnobirthing has definitely ignited that in so many aspects of my parenting as well like hypnobirthing has made me a better parent it's made Mm -hmm. me know when to walk out of a room and breathe so that I am not so annoyed by whatever my toddler is doing at the time but it's also meant when I face challenges like my son he's got a severe tongue tie he's got severe oral dysfunction um and what it's made me do is rather than just going to the uh, gp our doctors and saying what's the problem then going no it's nothing i've gone i'm gonna look into this i'm gonna get really nerdy on this subject what what are the books what do i need to know what people do i need to talk to and i have sought that out and we have now got a plan where things are working because of hypnobirthing because it taught me how to research and it taught me how to advocate for myself and i did not have that before i am a chronic people pleaser and i'm the sort of person that just be like oh okay yeah i I fawn i'm a okay yeah whatever makes you happy but hypnobirthing has taught me not to do that and i am definitely a better parent for that like a hundred percent and i think that's the beauty of it it's so transferable it's not just for birth it really is for life because the skills it teaches you they they never go away and they can just be used for so many different things we mm. consider like hypnobirthing to be like a bit of like a gateway drug so you <laughs> maybe think about doing a hypnobirthing course and that then leads you to swat up a lot on breastfeeding when your baby is coming it, and then it leads you to find out more about infant sleep so that you're not expecting too much of your young baby it leads you mm. to do mindset work to learn about how affirmations work and put them into practice in other areas of your life you know maybe you're going to a job interview or you are and it's 3 a.m and you're trying to get your kid to sleep and you're just using affirmations to believe that at some point the sleep will they come. will sleep yeah. someday <laughs> and then there'll be teenagers and you'll be waiting up for them to come home from yeah <laughs> like I, I will let you know when i get a good my kids are much older my youngest is 12 my oldest is 25 so it's I got good sleep for a while and then and then you're like up again. <laughs> but one day you'll sleep through the night. I yeah, do find um, that like personally, mindset has I actually started working with like a, she's a nutritionist and and a fitness, but also a mindset coach. And I am doing this mindset training with her, which every uh, and I will admit, like every time I sit down to do it, internally I'm kind of like, Ugh, you know, here's my meditation and rolling my yeah. eyes. But I love it. And I have seen like a huge difference in how I feel about in every aspect of my life to the point where other people are now commenting like, wow, you seem a lot less stressed. You seem a lot happier. You seem a lot more peaceful. And even now, though I see the results in my head, I'm still like, oh, every time I sit down and do it, oh, 
now I have to manage, you know, do yeah, meditation, but it works. <laughs> and the only reason why I ended it up does. signing up with her is because I, I researched it, brain elasticity, you know, changing the neurons in the brain so that you can change your perspective on the world. You know, you you have the ability to change your brain, which, by the way, is so freaking cool. Isn't like, it? Our Isn't brains it? are so cool. They yeah. get hardwired, but you can unwire it and rewire it. And it's it just, so cool. Yes. And it taught me a lot about it got me thinking a lot about how our our babies and kids' brains are developing and how are we helping them hardwire their brains to make it easier for them in the long run later in life. And that's what got me to the whole like um, gentle sleep training instead of crying it out sleep training and yeah. things like that. And a lot of the work I do with parents, like we're working on breastfeeding issues too, but we're also working on, you know, it's okay to hold your baby. You're not going to spoil your baby. It's okay, you know, to cuddle your baby. It's okay to nurse your baby to sleep. That's not a bad habit. And a lot of like unlearning things that people have been told that is good or bad. um, And instead just following your instinct and what works for your family. We've been told that a lot in our society, haven't we? Like there's so much unlearning we need to do about every aspect of like birth, pregnancy, parenting. Um, And it's very much the same over here. Like, you know, hold your baby and making a rod for your own back. And, you know, don't co-sleep because co-sleeping will mean they'll be there forever. Like, I promise you that your child will not be in your bed when they are 18 years old. And if they are, you'll probably be quite happy if they spend one evening in the bed cuddling you because you'll miss it so much. Like, Mm. it's... It's amazing. And like going back to what you said as well about the the mind and like retraining your brain. I think as humans, we forget that our brain and our body are so connected. Like what goes on on our brain will have an effect on what our body does as well. And we forget that, that feeling stress can make your body's systems not work as well. And when we start to realize that and we realize that the mind-body connection is there and it is prevalent and it is a really important thing, maybe people start to take the health of their brain a bit more seriously. And especially in the lead up to birth in and the fact that if you're going towards birth stressed and feeling like that, your body isn't going to work as well because your mind and your body, they are connected. No matter how much we're told they're not, mental health matters and it certainly matters within birth as well no one's going to have the great a great birth if they're spending the whole time going oh god i hate this i hate this i hate this this is awful this is awful like your, your brain is this incredible incredible thing and i think that's where a lot of antenatal education lacks is bringing your mind into it yeah and when we do that it can set our body up to actually birth quite optimally because mm. we are designed to do this like we are not that broken as much as we like to be told that we are broken and that our bodies aren't working they truly do we just need to put a little bit of work in to kind of get in them where they need to be. Yeah. And like we said about um, like how hypnobirthing differs from other antenatal classes. Obviously, we can't speak about all antenatal classes, but certainly from what I hear of other classes in the UK, people are being taught things in a far less positive way outside of hypnobirthing. Um, we've had clients who have done hypnobirthing as well as other classes where a picture of a baby with bruises from forceps has been handed around the room for everyone to look at. You think all that does is put that mental image of something that you do not want for your baby and put the fear of that happening in there. And it doesn't work towards a positive outcome or avoiding having that. It's simply just putting the fear of that and no tools to make that less likely. And that's kind of, we've had people go to other classes and say that they had to teach the people around them about, you know, more positive aspects of birth preparation because they're sitting there in a room full of people who are going, gosh, I feel a lot more scared now than I I was when I walked in. And they're like, oh, don't worry, do hypnobirthing. This is how you can make that less likely. And this is how you can do that. And oh, no, don't worry, you are allowed to do that. All that sort of thing. That's very much what the focus is on hypnobirthing. It's kind of expecting that that good outcome is going to be what happens and then working towards making that a reality and not assuming that the worst is going to happen because that is not going to help you avoid that negative outcome if you are focused on that being how your baby is born. Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes down to like how well can you regulate yourself and bring yourself down from fight or flight, right? That's that's really the whole 
the whole baseline. Because if you if you tend to be a person who gets in a fight or flight and gets stuck there, that's going to happen during labor and birth. So how can you bring yourself down from fight or flight through visualization, through breathing, through meditation, whatever works for you? And that is something that I work on with all my families because babies are co-regulators. They physically Mm -hmm. cannot bring themselves down from fight or flight. They don't have the brain development yet. They need someone to help them do that. And if you are a parent who yourself has trouble regulating your emotions and you yourself get stuck in fight or flight and then your baby gets stuck in fight or flight and neither of you can kind of like bring each other down, that's when parenting can get super stressful and really hard. So even if you're if you're not prepared, like even if you're not planning on doing any childbirth education class or something like the same techniques taught in hypnobirthing, like you said, can be carried in all aspects of your life, even with just raising your baby and staying yeah. calm and regulated, because that's going to teach your baby how to stay calm and regulated. Yeah. And that's about gifting that, isn't it? I read something the other day where it's you gift codependence, which then gifts dependence. Like, and I love that. I think that's lovely. My five-year-old daughter at the moment, she is very stroppy, um, gets herself very worked up and she can't bring herself out of it. And as much as that's frustrating when she's doing it just before we have to leave for school, I know that the only way I'm going to be able to calm her down where we can leave for school is by cuddling her, even though she's just done, if she's done something wrong, even if she's the reason she's crying because she's been told off for something. She needs to be hugged to be able to bring herself out of that state so that we can have a nice conversation about what's happened. And again, knowing that bringing her out of that fight or flight is really important so that she can one day learn how to bring herself out of it. And by giving her that love, again, that's something that hypnobirthing taught me. And it it really it, it, it is the, the gift that keeps on giving is kind of how I look at it, because it really does do so much for like family life as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I use it with my kids a lot, like coming down from fight or flight when they were very little, if they started to get upset, Mm -hmm. you know, I could feel myself getting upset. So I just started holding their hands and getting down at their level and looking them in the eyes and and saying, you're really upset. I can't understand what you're saying because you're crying so hard. So let's just take some deep breaths together and then we can talk about it. And I was amazed. I was like floored. It was just like an act of desperation that I tried, like, maybe this will work. It works so well so well. And it got to the point where when my kids got upset, they would start doing it on their own without me having to even tell them. They would run up to me crying and I'd be like, oh, I can't understand what you're saying. And then before I could even finish the sentence, they would just start breathing and then they'd be able to talk better and tell me what was going on. And then I could help them. It's amazing when you treat little people as uh, humans, how they react, isn't it? Rather than treating them like they, you know, they don't understand. They are amazing little things. And when you do show them that love, it, it does mean that they grow up into, you know, better human beings. Or at least I hope so. Yours are older. You tell me. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> what What is the structure of like a hypnobirthing class like? So, oh, it's been a while since we've taught face to face. But what our what we sort of teach is in a face to face like live course, we would split it. It would be about ten hours over four lessons. Our digital pack, we split it up into those similar sorts of categories, but we haven't got that time constraint, so we can go kind of more in depth into everything. Um, what we want to do is lay the groundwork first. So teaching those tools, teaching about why we might use those tools, how that fight or flight is going to impact the body and the birth process, how we can build that positive mindset, why we might have a negative mindset to start with, because often people have a bit of a light bulb moment when they're in that mm. part of the class where they realize like, oh yeah, that stuff that I've seen on the television, you know, the water's breaking in the middle of an embarrassing situation. I've always thought that that was how labor started. And actually that's just something that the television's taught me and I can kind of be at peace that that's probably not going to be how my labor starts. So we kind of lay that groundwork. We say, you know, we are encouraging them to think about birth in a different way kind of as the starting point. We talk through um, their rights. We talk through making decisions, starting with where they'd like to birth their baby. So we will go through the hormones of birth, what each hormone that is produced in the body during the birth process is doing, how they can, how we can help some of them, how we can prevent things like adrenaline from rearing its head until much later on. Um, and when we understand the hormones, we can then have a bit more of 
an idea of what different choices that we make are going to do to impact those hormones. So perhaps someone just thinks a oh, hospital is just where you give birth, right? It's just what I've seen. And actually, when they learn about the hormones, they learn about the pros and cons of each place of birth. They decide, actually, I love the idea of birthing at home. I was only picking hospital because I thought that that was safer 100% of the time. But actually, if I'm pretty safe at, at home, I'm going to do that. Or it might be that someone then has, because of that knowledge of hormones, will be able to build a toolkit of things to take with them into a hospital to make that hospital environment help their hormones a bit more. So we teach about like building people a, a bag of things. It might be a, a mask to cover their eyes to boost their melatonin. It might be taking massage oils so that someone can give them a massage and boost their oxytocin. We talk through the birth process from start to finish so that people have some idea of actually how their body is set up to birth their baby. Because it's all very well saying, you know, your baby's going to come out of your vagina. But if you don't understand that, the hormone relaxing is helping everything to get all loose in order for the baby to pass through your pelvis. You don't understand that the uterus is a muscle that is going to be contracting and pushing your baby out into the world. Without that knowledge, you simply think, oh, my pelvis is pretty small. My nan had a big baby and she had a cesarean. So maybe... Maybe it won't fit through, but when you understand how your body is set up to allow a baby of any size to fit through, then you can start to build that trust. We talk through decision-making tools so that people have got sort of a formula um, of going into a appointment or being in their birth space and using pros and cons to make their decisions. And ultimately, we tell people early on in a hypnobirthing course this hypnobirthing course, it can't be all you do. It, it mm -hmm. can't just have you sit, learn this information and then turn up to your breath space. There has to be, you know, practicing the breathing techniques so that they are second nature to you. You just you can do them without thinking. There has to be reading up on your special circumstances so that you understand, you know, the, the why something is being offered to you and what your other options are if they're not given freely to you in your kind of appointments in your breath space. Um, it's all about us laying that groundwork and giving them that knowledge and giving them that confidence. We're very much, we try to be their cheerleader. We try and make it very positive. We try and make it very relaxed and like they're just chatting with friends um, and kind of inspire them to then go off and do their own reading and do their watching of breath videos and things like that so that it's almost taking over every part of their life and it becomes something that they prioritise in their day-to-day -day so that they can have the biggest impact from it. You guys have the show um, The Birth Story in the UK. Oh, I don't know. Is it TV no. show in the US and, it, and it's on um, TLC Network? And I don't even know if it's airing now, but when I was pregnant, I would watch that show. And it, it terrified me <laughs> because... It was very dramatic. You know how birth is. And I mean, it was very dramatic and every birth ended and, and drama and close calls. And and then as a doula, I would watch it and like throw things at the TV. Is but, it a reality program? Yes. Sounds like we've got one here called One Born Every Minute. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds very much like that. And yeah, the drama. We do talk to people about that because we have people that come to us and that's their birth. That's all they've ever seen is births like that. Like that is where their birth knowledge comes from. And so they absolutely believe that that is how birth happens. But we like to talk to them about the fact that how many births do you see per hour episode? Probably five. Well, births aren't that short. So how much are you missing? Are you missing the times in between where they're just sat around having a chat? Are you missing where the doctor came in and they definitely gave conformed consent? We're hoping that happened. Uh, consent. We're hoping that happened. We don't see that bit happened. You know, there's so many bits that they dramatise. It's always the going through the doors and there's the buzzing and there's ah, all this stuff. It's very unusual for there to just be a really straightforward birth that happens there's always something that happens on it and that is most people's birth prep that is what a lot of people do they think if they watch that if I think especially here in the UK there's definitely a bit of a if I know the worst outcome then I won't be shocked 
Mm. Um, and so they go seeking kind of those negative stories because at least they'll know is how they see it. Um, and so people just, that's what they believe birth is like and how birth happens because of programmes like that. Mm. There has been a really good programme in the UK recently. What was it called, Alex? Um, Yorkshire Midwives, wasn't it? Yorkshire, Yorkshire Midwives. Uncle, yeah. And that was really good. Like, actually, uh, we tell people to avoid all programs like that. But that's one we were like, Yorkshire Midwives Uncle, yeah, give that one a watch because it's actually really representative of how birth actually works for the majority of people. Um, so, yeah, Summer, that's the only one I've ever known to be good. But it sounds, one born every minute sounds very uh, similar to <laughs> your also for that. Yeah. And yeah. Just, what Alex was saying about, you know, taking the course is kind of like the first step. It's not the only thing that you do. Like you have to maintain that knowledge. You have to practice yeah. that visualization. So if you if you take that course, but then you watch that show, you well, you shouldn't watch the show to begin with. But if no. you're gonna watch it, you know, <laughs> you need to bring in the, the breathing and everything just to get through the episode. I feel like because if you get exposed to those representations of what birth is supposed to look like, it's gonna throw you off. It's gonna throw all the studying and the learning that you just did off. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes with like listening to those horror stories, like you said, as well. It's yeah. the first thing people want to tell you, isn't it? And I do think that most people are doing it because they're like dumping on you, but because they think if I, at least if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have been so surprised. And so they think, I think some people think that they're helping you. I think some people are also just not very kind people. But I do think some people think they're doing it for like good purposes. And we just need to try and avoid that. And we always say to people, you know, if somebody comes to you and they want to tell you their horror story, you can say, I really want to listen to your story, but right now it's not good for my mindset. Please, I'd love to let, after I've had my baby, let's talk over our stories then. Like, like a kind way of saying stop or just tell them that Jane and Alex said that I couldn't and they can absolutely blame it on us. <laughs> Yeah, I don't make mind that at all. I tell my clients all the time, make me the bad guy. Yeah, you know, tell your family that you don't want them in your hospital room two hours after you gave birth. Yeah. Like, you can make, make the pediatrician the bad guy. No one cares. Yeah, yeah. So where can, where can parents find you? Your website, I love. Again, just Thank feel like you. your whole vibe is awesome. That took, me, you that took me many months to build. <laughs> I love like the the leopard print with the different Thank colors. Yeah. You. Um, your Instagram has a lot of great resources listed. It looks like you have a free hypnobirthing mini course. You have a YouTube channel. We do, yeah. We so got. We are very much along the lines of we know for well not everybody can afford this stuff, and actually for us it's really important that that information is out there and available for people that can't necessarily afford to pay for it. Um, it's the reason why we built the digital pack as well. So the digital packet is a full antenatal hypnobirthing course um it is what you would the same stuff you would learn in a face-to-face lesson but it's there to be more accessible for people it's there for people that are maybe on shifts and can't make the classes it's there for people that can't maybe afford to spend hundreds of pounds hundreds of dollars on courses um and which is why we've kept the price cheap it's 45 pound and that includes a the whole antenatal hypnobirthing course and a postnatal course as well where we include like breastfeeding there's a baby massage course on there there's bottle feeding stuff on there there's a starting solids workshop on there as well. So we we want to help parents be prepared. For us, that's really, really important. And so that's why we have the free resources and we keep things as cheap as possible because it shouldn't matter what people earn. Everybody should get this antenatal education. And I believe top quality antenatal education is a human right. Like people should be going into birth knowing that stuff because it really impacts a person how they give birth. And it is something that people will think about a lot, if not, you know, daily. It'll at least be once a year on that child's birthday where you will think about that. And and having a positive memory, it really, really is so important. And I hate the thought of people coming out of it feeling like they were railroaded into stuff or feeling, you know, any kind of negativity about it. It's important for us that the, as many people as possible have kind this kind of education. Mm-hmm. And just in case um, some listeners were wondering, your courses can be applied internationally, right? It, it's nothing about your courses that are just UK-based. Mm, well, exciting stuff. No, it's not. And we are actually, at the moment, um, our digital pack is being transformed into an American version as well. We are working okay. with an American doula who uh, we train to be a hypnobirthing instructor as well. So it is nearly done. So there is an American digital pack version coming out. The English pack, it still works the same. 
for there's not there's mentions of the nhs in it so we're getting rid of all nhs stuff and making it more geared towards an american audience working alongside um our lovely american doula so again we realize that it's something that's not as prevalent over in the u.s like you know hypnobirthing isn't as much of a thing really is it there there's not as much it's massive here huge and i think a lot of that is to do with people like kate middleton she made it absolutely massive um and mm. so there's a lot of celebrities doing hypnobirthing here um and so we we wanted to kind of try and make that everywhere in the world so mm. the us is our first stop and then we'll start gearing them at other systems around the world as well yeah and i think um when i was having babies hypnobirthing was a lot bigger in in the us at least in the northeast where i am but i think what happened and i think the same thing happened with bradley method too bradley method was big and now has kind of fallen off the map because parents are starting to prefer like one sit down and learn session like they don't want to like bradley is a 12 week course right and yeah. so parents are like i'm too busy to do 12 weeks yeah but what's great about your course is that you can buy it pre-recorded and just do it on your time which i think yeah those are the kind of trainings that I love taking when I can just fit it in for 15 minutes in the morning before I get the kids up. And yeah, yeah. absolutely. Bite size as well. Like all the yes. videos, they're bite size. You can sit down and like you can watch it and you can spend, you know, I'll do five minutes a day and you're going to have done amazing stuff by the time you finished it. Like it's important to us that it works for people that are neurodiverse as well. Like it's not, not, it's more, our course is more like a chat and people always come to us afterwards. They're like, I've watched you and I feel like we're mates now. And I'm like, come, come and spend some time with us. Let's go to the pub. That sounds great. Like we do want people to feel like that. And they do come out of it feeling like it was a really friendly chat and that it wasn't this overload of information. They've been able to take it in and go away and do more research themselves and just feel really informed about their decisions. Awesome. So your Instagram is the birth uprising. That's it. And that's your website too. So we'll put the links in the notes and hopefully people will reach out to you because you're an amazing resource. And again, I love that you're just like down to earth and not. Thank you. And if you're, if you, you know, if there are people out there that are very much in the hippie dippy, great. There are plenty of hippie yeah. dippy. There's like, loads of people out there for you. There is. You should There's go with who you click with. Um, mm-hmm. That's really, really important. But yeah, so I'll put those links in the show notes. And thank you so much thank for joining you. us today. You know, I know you guys are dealing with a lot with sick kiddos and stuff. So I appreciate you still showing up for me. <laughs> thank you very much. We've had a lovely, lovely time. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.